Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Reverend Dr. Steve Sprinkle, who's professor at Bright Divinity School, invited me to speak to his class. He said, I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, you can talk about anything you want to. <laughs> you know, you know, that's dangerous to let a pastor talk about anything they want to. Uh, I was a little taken aback. The title of the class is The Church's Mission and the Minister's Vocation. And, uh, you know, that's uh, weighty material to talk about the church's mission uh, and the minister's vocation. The class, there were about uh, 10 students in the class, and it was really great because it was a very diverse class. And they came from diverse um, denominational backgrounds and diverse nationalities and diverse races. And I mean, it was just, it was just a great group of folks. And some were young, really young. I mean, like, of course, I, nowadays I think most people are young. <laughs> But really young people, and uh, some were second career pastor, you know, people going into the ministry, and they were so interested and intent in talking about their call. And I said, well, you know, what it meant to be called, and what does it mean to have a vocation in ministry? And, and so we had this marvelous conversation about it, and, uh, and they were very uh, intent about talking about this. It was clear it was really important to them. And at one point I said, you know what, um, I'm going to tell you what Professor Wes Allen says the first day when he teaches Introduction to Preaching. He says, uh, you're going to get into this and you're going to say, oh, this is hard. And that's because it is. <laughs> and, and that's what I want to say to you. Ministry's hard because it is. And so you have to always be thinking about and remembering your call, your call to ministry. And get the, uh, well, I was going to say the eight-track tape uh, out uh, because that's where my uh, recording of my ordination is. But get it out and watch it. Remember what it was like to have hands laid on you. Remember what it was like to have somebody uh, pray over you like that. Because that's important stuff. Well, you, they were just, they were so much fun to talk to. And, and you know what resulted from that? And as we're doing this whole series on God calls, uh, I, I spent a lot of time after I got done with that class. I'm still thinking about it. And I'm still thinking about what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? And what would you say is the mission of the church? And, and I've got lots of answers. The mission of the church is to love people, 
to love people into life. The, the mission of the church is to help people be transformed in Jesus' name. The mission of the church is to help people know what it is to hear the Holy Spirit bid them come. It's all of that and more. And I want to talk today, as you might imagine, after hearing our scripture read, I want to talk to you about what it means to be called, not as a pastor, but as a person. Because everybody's got a call on their head. And some of us listen to it better than others, but everybody. And, and it can be something as simple as what I believe my older sister was called to. She was the smartest of the three girls. Uh, oh, uh, sorry, Sue. And, and I guess when growing up, I thought probably she'd go off to some college off, you know, in the Northeast and wind up having, doing great things and... And she, uh, she went to SMU and started as a dance major, but broke her foot. And so she switched to French. And then she had two children. After she got out of college, she got married and had two children. And I do believe in watching her raise those kids that she was one of the best parents I've ever seen. And, and you know, she... She did such a great job of parenting those two children in, into adulthood. I was just so deeply touched by that, and I realized that that was her great calling, was to love these two babies that grew into adults and then to help them be good parents. So I want to talk about what it means to be called as a person, to be God's person, however it is that God calls you. Perhaps you don't know the full story of Jeremiah, and we don't have time in this sermon to explore the depth of that book because it's 52 chapters. <laughs> uh, so maybe you've only heard in passing about the prophet Jeremiah, so we are going to take a little bit of history of, of this, or we're going to tell a little bit about Jeremiah's journey. What we can say is that Jeremiah's prophetic career, and, and nothing much happens before this call story. It's almost as if all of that before didn't matter. It, it's this that matters, right? And so uh, Jeremiah's prophetic career began in a time of great prosperity in Israel and Judah. There was hopefulness, there was optimism, because you see, there was a good king on the throne, and, and he was calling people back to their fundamental covenant with Yahweh. That was what, what was happening. But suddenly his prophetic career took a turn when Jerusalem was taken captive and he saw his nation move from prosperity to devastation, from community into exile. I mean, I, I'm not sure we fully grasp how all that had an impact on those people. Jeremiah 
a story is a painful one. He's often referred to as the weeping prophet. He was deeply impacted by what he saw, and throughout his years as a prophet, he knew, he knew that the end of the good days was inevitable. Jeremiah is thrust into a story of nat national demise. In the story that opens this lengthy book of scripture, Jeremiah tells of Yahweh calling him. It's a detailed story. We just heard it. And we heard that he converses with the one who created, called, consecrated, and appointed him. He converses with God. And, uh, and God touches his lips. Well, oh my gosh, you know, you'd think your lips would wither and fall off if God touched them maybe. But God touches his lips and pronounces what he is to do. And says, you know, you, you are to um, go and in my name, the one who created you and called you. Yahweh says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, before we devolve into discussions on the issues of embryo viability or predestination, I want to point us to the most important part of what Yahweh say, says to Jeremiah. Too often we get caught up in these other things. The most important thing Yahweh says to Jeremiah is, I knew you. Which implies, I know you. Heart and soul, I know you. I know you inside and out. And the second most important words of this call story are, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Have no fear, for I am with you. The promise to Jeremiah is of Yahweh's continual presence. Now, we also hear of Jeremiah's reluctance to respond and his efforts to try to convince God otherwise. I'm just too young, I can't do it. Which is pretty common in the call stories, right? Moses gets called, he says, I, I'm a person of slow, my, my slow speech. You don't really want me, pick somebody else. God's persistent in the calling, fortunately for us, I think. And God outlines Jeremiah's mission, which will be to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, but also to build and to plant. Now, all that negative stuff is about justice. It's to pull down, overthrow. It is through the lens of these opening words that we heard read of Jeremiah's call that we can begin to understand what follows for Jeremiah. Jeremiah will not go un, unopposed. He will face overwhelming obstacles. And as he speaks to the people of Israel and Judah on behalf of Yahweh and indicts the people and their leaders, he will 
call them out on their idolatry and their injustices, their abuse of power that create oppression and violence and destruction and neglect of the vulnerable. No wonder he gets into so much trouble. Nobody wants to hear that, even if it's true. And I think perhaps we know a thing or two about all that, don't we? Notice that Jeremiah feels inadequate. And as the story progresses, he will feel duped, betrayed, vulnerable, isolated. But he will also, on occasion, he will feel competent. He will feel inspired. He will even feel hopeful. Now, can you hear that? In the midst of all he faces, he is able to feel confident and inspired and, and hopeful. Now, we would do well to recognize that we have feelings that mirror Jeremiah's, and, and especially in these days. We may find in the prophet a kindred spirit as we deal with these times. I, it's going to be so good tomorrow morning when I read the New York Times and I get scared to death because I'll be able to think about Jeremiah having confidence and having hope. You know, we know what it is to have leaders who are idolatrous and unjust. We know what it is to live in a country, in a world where people abuse their power. And we know that abuse creates oppression and violence and destruction and neglect of the vulnerable, don't we? I mean, we can all agree with that, I think. And if we're honest, we must admit that we are not without sin. The sins of omission, for the most part, looking the other way and silently participating in the structures and behaviors that add to the oppression. It's not nice. It's hard to lift that mirror up and look at it and be honest about it. And too often we ignore the call of God to pluck up, pull down, destroy and overthrow the powers and principalities that create this unjust world because it's dangerous and it's hard. And too often we get discouraged and forget the promise of God that we hear in this passage to be with us. Clinging to the promises of God that Jeremiah is fully known by God and that God is consistently present allows Jeremiah to do the difficult things that are before him. You know, I think Jeremiah knew the song. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are certainly there. If I make my bed in darkness, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. And in that faith, the remembrance of God's promise to him as we near the end of the book, we hear this. Jeremiah is speaking 
to the people on behalf of Yahweh. And it comes out as Yahweh's voice and says, tell them, I will make a new covenant with the house of Judah and Israel. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Now, the truth is, Jeremiah's call is ours. It's our own. And the promises of God to Jeremiah belong to us. You and I are fully known. And as scary as that might feel, it's also comforting to know that God knows us, knows our heartbeats, knows our souls, knows our desires to be God's person. Well, that's why you're here today, right? And God's promise to Jeremiah to be with him continually so he doesn't need to be afraid is ours to claim. Reverend Alexander McLaren has said, the weakest and lowest, the roughest and the hardest, the most selfishly absorbed person among us has dwelling within them dormant capacities for flaming up into such a splendor of devotion and magnificence of heroic self-forgetfulness and self-sacrifice. In you is this, a flaming up, a magnificence. This is what God calls us to. This is how we can live. This is the promise of God, even when we mess it up, which we will. Just say it. God calls. God calls us. Even though God knows us fully and is with us, even when we turn away. The Christian Secret of a Happy Life, written by Hannah Whittall Smith, has one of my favorite stories about calls. She says, we would do well to realize that our own feelings and preferences are very poor guides when it comes to the robust realities and stern demands of the Holy Spirit. Paul knew because he got knocked off a horse by it, right? But we kind of, we don't expect to get knocked off our horse, right? <laughs> Consider that the Apostle Paul did not want to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He wanted to be a clever and appreciated young Jewish scholar. St. Francis Xavier's preference was for an ordered life close to his beloved teacher, St. Ignatius. But at a few hours' notice, he was sent out to be the apostle to the Indies and never returned to Europe again. And Henry Martin, the fragile and exquisite scholar, was compelled to sacrifice the intellectual life to which he was so perfectly fitted for the missionary life to which he felt he was decisively called. Smith writes, here it comes. <laughs> In all these, a power beyond themselves decided the direction of their lives. 
Yet in all we recognize not frustration, but the highest of all types of achievement. Things like this, and she says, and they are constantly happening, gradually convince us that the overruling reality of life is the will and choice of the Holy Spirit acting not in a mechanical, but in a living and personal way. The spiritual life does not consist in mere individual betterment or assiduous attention to one's own soul, but in a free and unconditional response to the Spirit's pressure and call, whatever the cost may be. Now, if that's making your knees knock a little, I certainly understand. We're not talking about being saints, and we're not talking about being apostles. I'm talking about what's your call as a person in this life. Pay attention to that sentence, yet in all we recognize not frustration but the highest of all types of achievement. Whatever God calls you and however God calls you will be consistent with who you are because you are fully known. And God's promise is to consistently be present to you. You don't have to be an apostle, a bishop, even a pastor or a preacher. You simply need to be open to the calling and claim of the Holy Spirit on your life. So a lot of people get all hung up on what's God's will for me, right? Well, Marcus Borg has written and said, God wills our liberation. God wills our reconciliation. God wills our enlightenment. God wills our forgiveness. God wills to see that we see ourselves as God's beloved. And God wills our resurrection, our passage from death to life, here in this place and in the life to come. And God wills for us food and drink and satisfying our hunger and thirst. God wills comprehensively our well-being. Not just my well-being as an individual, but the well-being of all of us and the whole of creation. This is God's will. Pick one. Pick one of those. Any of them. Pick any of them. This is God's will for us. In short, God wills our salvation here, in this time and place, our healing, our wholeness, here on this earth and into the new world we will enter. When I talked to those students that Thursday night, uh, I told them, people that go into ministry, go to seminary, they wrestle with God for a long time about that, a lot of them. Some people, years, wrestle with God about going to seminary. And then when you finally decide, you're like, oh, whew, got that over with. Some people in here are laughing about that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about my call and my plans. I was, um, I was a cradle Methodist, baptized, confirmed in the United Methodist Church. So when I finally answered my call to go to seminary, I went to a Methodist seminary at SMU. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I want to tell you that I 
felt the call to go into the ministry, and I was going to become a bishop. I was convinced of it. Well, you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> Turns out that, well, I love Stephanie, and that doesn't work even now in the Methodist Church. So following my internship in seminary, I was certain I was called to urban ministry, caring for the dispossessed. Instead, I landed in my home church, a university church, across the street from Texas A&M University, ministering to college students. <laughs> when I was outed and left the Methodist Church, I was disconsolate and discouraged and depressed, believing that perhaps I had been wrong, completely wrong about all this. When I discovered the United Church of Christ and Friends Congregational Church in College Station, I was once again called into ministry and really thought I had landed the plane. And just when things were getting good, when we finally got enough of a mass of people to actually get everything done we needed to do without burning people out left and right, I got a phone call from the pastor at Cathedral of Hope in Dallas, Texas, asking me to come and talk to him about taking a job. And I said, no, no, no. I'm happy here. My parents are here. I love the people. It's a great church. I've done good work and ministry here. I, I'm, I'm, no. And he said, well, just come talk to me. Come and preach at the Cathedral of Hope. And so this, you know, it was... Reverend Michael Piazza, and he was a wily character. And, uh, you know, he, so the day, <laughs> the day that I went to preach there, he put me in the processional. We were right behind the Bible as it processed down this big aisle. And I'm going down the aisle saying, oh, no. <laughs> no, God, I'm not doing this. Do not ask this of me. I am not going to move to Dallas. And God laughed. And there I found myself at the Cathedral of Hope. And after a while in my ministry there, I thought, well, you know, I'm getting a little long in the tooth. I'm just going to retire from the Cathedral of Hope. I mean, I'm going to enter an easy retirement. <laughs> and then through the calling of the Holy Spirit and the insistence of a small group of people, we started New Church. And I was certain that we would grow and we would buy a building. And that didn't happen. You see, God often has other plans for us. And for everybody, rest assured, when God calls you and bids you come, it will often not be where you thought you were going. But as I so often say to others, God doesn't call us to be great or even successful, but God calls us to be faithful. So what are you going to do this week about listening for the voice of God in your life? Years ago, a woman in her 80s was in a class with me. Uh, I was in a class with her, I guess I should say. And she says, you know, I can't do much. 
But I take the roster of our church and I pray. I pray the names. And that's what I can do. God calls. Calls all of us who are fully known and asks us not to do things beyond our capabilities, but consistent with who we are. God calls. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.